again today. And those of you who are gathered online, thrilled that you're with us as well. <clears throat> um, last week, uh, we took a look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to return to Acts chapter 2 today, so if you have a Bible or Bible app, you might want to get that one ready. <clears throat> and what we looked at last week was this interesting parallel between the second half of, of this uh, amazing story and uh, uh, about languages and the parallel that exists between that stories and the, the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> And so we see this, this movement of God from the Old Testament into the New Testament because he's doing some things and he's trying to get our attention. So very often in the scripture, we find this thing called the principle of first mention. And so you'll see a word, a phrase, or a concept, or an idea, or even a picture that will remind you of something in the Old Testament. And that's a very deliberate thing on the part of the New Testament author. He's trying to get your attention about something. There's something that exists here, and so we explored that in, in detail last, last week. Now, the interesting thing about this story in Acts chapter 2 is that it's so rich. There's so much here. I want to return to it um, because now I want to I take on the first part of it. Uh, we, we dealt with the second part of the passage. This, today we're going to uh, deal with the first one. <clears throat> um. Let me read this passage. Let's start there. And uh, I, I got a, a, a couple of quick thoughts and some things that I want to point out. So let, let's start. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Hopefully you're there by now. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Uh, skipping to verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Which I think is a great question. Uh, I find myself asking that question quite a bit. What does this all mean? Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about uh, what occurred in the first few verses of this. The first thing uh, that I'll draw your attention to is this idea um, that suddenly there was the sound of the wind, but notice that it filled the whole house. And so there's this idea that, that when the Spirit of God comes, you tend to be immersed in it. Does that make sense? The first, the first step, uh, at least from what I can tell, is that there's immersion in the Spirit of God. And this is why we focus and why we spend a lot of time talking about the presence because when the, when the presence comes, you want to, to notice that the Spirit of God. How many of you noticed the Spirit of God was present today while we were worshiping? That's pretty cool, right? And, and part of the Christian endeavor, part of the discipleship, disciples' journey is becoming more and more sensitive to the fact that the Spirit's in the room. And I want to be more and more immersed in that spirit because I don't want to miss out on the things that he has in mind because look what happens next. There's this idea of these tongues of flame that rest on each one of them and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So first you have this immersion and then you have the infilling. 
you know, I, I kind of get this sense that it was like the water was getting dropped on top of them, and then it filled them up. But then what happens is that the Spirit enables them to begin to speak other language, and now there's an outflow. So immersion, infilling, and outflow, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. Got to be honest. I would like to see that happen in my own life and the lives of others. So immersion, infilling, and then this outflow. Now, earlier on in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay? So remember, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, what we just read, is after Acts chapter 1, right? 1, then 2. Okay? So in, verse, in uh, chapter 1, in verse 8, he says, No, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem. Remember, this is, this is hostile territory, but I want you to stay here because you will receive power from on high. Now, I find this a really interesting... Actually, no, I find it kind of puzzling. I'll be honest. It's puzzling because the, there's evidence within the text that the Holy Spirit was already present. And, and I've, been, I've been thinking about this for some time because I, I, I don't know, I just find these kinds of questions um, fascinating. Because over in John chapter 20, keep your finger in Acts chapter 2 and move over to John chapter 20. <clears throat> On the day of the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. And in verse 19, I want want you to hear this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands And aside, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Oh, there's a responsibility right there, folks. That's going to be a whole sermon some other day, okay? That's called a hook. That gets you to come back at some point. Anyway, but as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, for centuries, there's been this question of sorts. um, What happens when Holy Spirit comes to a new believer? Because my own personal conviction is that at the moment of salvation, that moment when you decide to follow God, Holy Spirit is present with you, comes to live inside your heart. This seems, as far as I can tell, to be very orthodox Christian view. Holy Spirit is present upon the moment of, of conversion. And some people, I think, live faithful lives without necessarily experiencing anything else other than the fact that, you know, God is present with them and hopefully guiding them. My fear is, though, that we begin to think of Holy Spirit more like Jiminy Cricket. And I'm not sure he's Jiminy Cricket. And so while we we live with Holy Spirit in us, it's clear 
that we all, we all have that at moment of conversion, but we don't necessarily see, I, I guess I'll call it, and I'm really reluctant to use this term, you'll understand why, a manifestation of the Spirit. I suppose it, it happens from time to time that you know, we, can, we can experience that or we just kind of get that little nudge or, or what, I, I, I'm, I'm not too sure about that. And so I've been thinking about this and I, there's several ways of kind of describing the presence of Holy Spirit in a believer's lives. Um, there's a number of ways of doing this. Here's one that I like. Uh, I think this is helpful. And I'm, I'm, I don't know, I seem like the, the older I get, the, the less I'm interested in theory. <laughs> I'm more, a little more interested in how does this actually work out in practice? And, and I, like, I like the way this, um, this explanation kind of works. So uh, may, maybe it'll be useful for you too. But you, ha- you think in terms of Resurrection Sunday and you have Pentecost Sunday. And essentially those are the two verses that we, we were looking at. Okay, we're looking at John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 2. So Resurrection Sunday. You have the resurrected Christ who shows up in a room that was supposed to be secure, and he's talking with his disciples. And, and what does he do? Is he, he brings the Spirit, but the Spirit is in-breathed, right? He breathed on them. Now, what's so fascinating here, and this will blow your mind, the word in Greek and Hebrew for Spirit is the same word that you used for wind or breath. So there's kind of a play on words that's going on here. But the idea is is that when Jesus came, he breathed the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Spirit. And what's the result of that? It's eternal life. So the result of Resurrection Sunday, the result of Holy Spirit at that point of conversion or the point of salvation is life, eternal life. And, and God bless you if you've got it. I mean, that's really what we long for is because we want to see all of our friends and our family and, and, you know, at some point in the future in heaven with us and, and we want that kind of eternal life. I know I do. But on the other hand, you've got, you've got Pentecost Sunday. But it's not just the resurrected Lord. Now you have the ascended Lord. Remember he was standing with his disciples and he told them, stick around, stay in the hostile territory. And as they're standing with him, he gets lifted up into heaven. Man, I'd like to see that holy elevator. That'd be something. But he's the ascended Lord now. He's glorified. He's not just resurrected. Now, don't get me wrong, being resurrected is something, but now the ascended Lord. And he's gone for a period of time. And what happens is that when the Spirit comes, the Spirit isn't in-breathed. The Spirit now indwells. The Spirit infills them. Right? That's what we, we read. There's this immersion. Then there's this infilling part of it. And what is the result of all of this? Power. So on the one hand, you've got this idea of the resurrection when Spirit, when Holy Spirit shows up, there's life. But in Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit arrives and there's power to be the witnesses that God wants his people to be. 
So there's an empowerment to it. Um, Wesley kind of put it this way. He said there's justifying grace and there's sanctifying grace. So there seems to be this discussion that there's kind of two two places where Holy Spirit shows up. One is at that moment of belief and the other is at that moment of surrender. When you literally put yourself in the hands of God and say, okay, God, what do you want now? And God says, cool, I can work with that. And you're empowered to do the things that he he asks you to do. I like like, uh, another pastor put it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit comes Uh, in you for you, but he comes upon you for others. Does this make sense? And I think those two things are distinct, even though it's the same spirit. But I do think there's this moment of, 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 of belief, and I think there's this moment of surrender, and I think those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand right away. Now, I think some people get that, but I think the vast majority of us, especially if you found Christ at a young age, if you found Christ at a young age, my guess is that you, you got the eternal life piece, but later on in life, you finally understood the surrender part of it, from belief to surrender. In fact, some of us, we're still in the process of surrendering. It's just kind of true. We like to put things on the altar and then take them back, right? It happens. But I think that's a useful way of understanding what's happening Um, within these two passages is that there seems to be these two works of the Holy Spirit. Now, personally, I don't want to miss out on all that God has in mind for his people. I want to know the full power of the gospel. I want to know that. I want to join in his enterprise because it's really exciting. I love telling stories. When God shows up and changes things, I just, I love telling those stories. And it's why we seek his presence to be his presence, right? We try to say this every week to to remember that there's a reason why we're chasing after him because when you're in his presence, things begin to happen and opportunities and my goodness, it's an adventure. I want to pause here because there's one more thing I want to show you. Uh, it was a surprise. It was a surprise to me. It might be a surprise to you. We'll see. <clears throat> so I want you to turn to Psalm one one o four. Let's consult the poets. I like consulting the poets. They have a way of saying things. I appreciate their turns of a phrase. So if you're a Bible or Bible app, turn there to Psalm one o four. Some of these words might be familiar to you. Beginning with verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on it. Wait wait a minute. (laughs) He makes winds his messengers. Flames of fire his servants. 
Now, where did I just read that? That's got to be a coincidence, right? I mean, come on. Jesus and Pentecost all happened 2,000 years ago, and, and, and probably Psalm 104 was written 1,000 years before that. I, that's that, that, that's got to be coincidence. Okay, it's cool to see that, right? It's really interesting. But, but hold on. Wait, there's more. What's happening in this poem here? Let's keep reading. Verse 5, he set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. Notice some of the language here. He stretches heavens like a tent and he lays beams and he set the earth on foundations. And he begins to separate water and mountains and land. And let's keep reading. Verse 10, he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the human heart. Oh yeah. Oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts. He made the moon to mark the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night. All the beasts of the forest prowl. Verse 22, then uh, the sun rises and all of those beasts, they steal away, they return and lie down in their dens. Then people go to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Now here's verse 30. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Does this sound a little familiar? I mean, there's some imagery here that we've heard this before, haven't we? If it sounds like the creation narrative, it's supposed to. This is one of those prophetic verses, these songs or poems that sit in between the creation narrative when God formed the entire earth and when Jesus came and began something new? It's a prophetic song, but it's also one that's steeped in deep, deep history. And I have to say that the image here is one of a king coming in power. He wraps himself in light like a garment. He stretches out his tent and he lays beams over water. Oh my goodness. This is a king. This is one who is powerful and mighty. 
and he's pulling order from the chaos, just like he did in Genesis chapter 1. And at the same time, he's putting things to right. He's putting things the way they're supposed to be, the way that he always intended it. He's creating the ideal kingdom. And, and maybe we could even say that he's trying to give us a picture of shalom, of this idea of peace. Because sometimes when we think of the word shalom, we think of this idea as, as being kind of personal peace and calm and yes, all of that. But really, there's a, there's a nuance to it where it means that everything is operating the way it's supposed to be, that it's an equilibrium that's in balance. You're living up to your part of the relationship. I'm living up to mine. And all creation is living up to theirs. And of course, God is going to live up to his relationship. But it's all in balance. It's the way things are supposed to be. And we have this picture that's coming to light in this beautiful, beautiful poem. I want you to understand something. Acts chapter 2 is the kingdom of God invading the earth. This is the moment when the king begins to return. This is the moment when things are start to put back into place. When things are made right. And he makes the wind his messengers and the flames his servants. And you get to be a part of all of that. This is a king who's coming to reign. We talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ. And the kingdom of God happens right here in our hearts first. And then it happens collectively when we get together. And then it begins to spread to the people around us, to the circumstances that we find ourselves in, and all of that, we we get to participate in that because the king is putting things to right. Sometimes I think we forget just what's going on here. You know, we're not showing up on Sunday morning just to sing some cool songs, although I like when we do that. And it's not just to eat good coffee um, and bagels, although we get to do that too. And it's not that we get to talk to each other. It's not just that. Of course, I love doing that as well. This is when God's people meet with their king. The one who is putting things to right. The one who is pulling order out of chaos. And he calls each one of us to join him in that. We get to be his messengers and his servants. And we're on the move. And we're moving out into the world around us. You see, we talk about this being the church gathered, but you're still the church when you leave here. You're now the church scattered, but you're still the church. And it's those moments when I'm not in this place that I need the presence of God the most because, man, the world's crazy. Have you noticed this? There's bananas out there. But that's the point. Jesus said, as I have been sent, so I am sending you. 
part of the task is to be the church out there. Because in here, it's easy. Because everybody thinks like you. Well, for the most part. At least they believe in some of the same things that you do. Out there, not so much. There's a lot of chaos. And you get to join God in, in trying to pull some order out of it all. From time to time, the kingdom erupts in certain places. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. <clears throat> it's happened over the years, um, different places around the world. Uh, we call it revival. And this last Wednesday, uh, revival broke out at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, our Elizabeth has some friends who are still there on campus, and we got a heads up, I think, Thursday night. Hey, by the way, something's going on here. What do you mean something's going on here? Uh, a young man came and um, preached in chapel, and chapel just never stopped. Kept on going. Uh, as far as we know, it is still going on today. And it's been several days. It's been characterized by several things. Um, one is confession and repentance. And I need to tell you that if you want revival in your own life, in your own church, you have to be willing to deal with confession and repentance. That's part and parcel of revival. It's when you come face to face with the holy God and you said, you know what, your holiness is worth my discomfort in dealing with my junk. Apparently, the um, young man who was preaching uh, started talking about confession, and somebody in the crowd took him seriously. And then another person took him seriously. And so there was confession and repentance, and God showed up. And now you have students sleeping in the auditorium because they don't want to leave the presence of God. Each professor can decide what they want to do with classes, and so often students will go to class and then go back to chapel. Go to class and go back to chapel. Go get something to eat, go back to chapel. Can you imagine a bunch of young people wanting to go back to church? That's a miracle in itself, I think. But the presence of God is so strong, and now it has attracted um, the attention of local community and church leaders. And they're showing up at night, too, and the place is packed. They're standing room only. Why? Because the presence of God is there. And one of the things that they said is that, yes, there are some things that are occurring. There are some, some healing, and there are you know, probably some signs and wonders and that sort of thing, but it's all very quiet. It's more of a worshipful type of experience. Now, what's so fascinating to me is that this actually occurred in that same auditorium in the early 70s. It was called a revival of love. And it spread to different churches and it spread around. And as far as I can tell, this revival has some of the same hallmarks as that one. I think it's legit. Another university, Ohio Christian University, is starting to report similar experiences going on in their chapel. 
And my prayer is that that begins to spread to college campuses. Because I look at the world and I, you know, I watch YouTube and I see the things that are being posted and I, I worry about the younger generation. And I know every generation says that about the one that follows them. I, I know that. But confession and repentance and worship and then you get things like signs and wonders. Let's get it in the right order. You got to deal with your junk first. There's a, there's a story that Jesus tells <clears throat> where um, a man had, um, a man was demonized and he was uh, saved from the demon. <clears throat> but the demon came back and moved in with a bunch of his friends. And it seems to me that um, what we're dealing with when it comes to the barriers to the kingdom of God is we're dealing with rubbish and rats. If you want to get rid of the rats, the first thing you gotta do is get rid of the rubbish. The rats are the evil spirits. The rubbish is the junk that you carry. This is why confession and repentance are absolutely necessary for revival. Does this make sense to you? And until we have the courage to look deep in our own hearts and go, oh man, I got some stuff I need to get rid of. We're always going to run the risk of not coming into the fullness that God has for each one of us. Now, I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm just trying to deal with reality. And oh, by the way, I got my junk too. So I am not without fault here. And over this last week, God has made me aware of some things that, yeah. But do I want revival? <laughs> yeah, I do. But revival starts here before it goes out here. And that's for everybody. And I, and I think it's true. I think what happens is, is that when we, we begin to take this idea of confession or re repentance seriously in our own lives, one person does it and then another person does it and eventually we start taking him seriously together. That's when God is like, woo-hoo, let's go. I think God actually enjoys that. couple of things that I'm thinking about, and I believe these are absolutely true. <clears throat> when we gather together on Sundays, we talk about loving God collectively, right? We are learning here in this place to love God together. And we do that through a celebration. And we celebrate God through two things, worship and testimony, right? So we worship God, that's why we sing, that's why we pray, that's why we read scripture. We are worshiping God. We are putting him in the place where he belongs. But the second thing we do is we testify. And it starts with the opening of God's word because there are stories of things that he has done and I am testifying to what God does by sharing with you things out of the word. Now hopefully I can get you to think about things a little bit differently and maybe shake things up a little bit for you. But the bottom line is we're testifying. 
And when we tell stories of God's goodness and things that are going on in life today, then we are testifying. But here's the thing that I believe. I think one of the reasons why we gather together every single Sunday is to create room for God to move in such a way that we can testify to him again. That we're creating more stories to tell. It's not just about telling ancient stories because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Right? And if that's true, then what we see here is available to us today, and those are the stories I want to tell too. I absolutely believe that's true. No question about it. That we are attempting as a church to create space for God to do things that we can testify. Why? Because he gets the glory for it. It's not anything Dan and David do up here or Sophia does in the back. It's what God is doing, and we get to be a part of it. That's it. We've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Jesus leads his church. And the moment I stop listening to him is the day you need to fire me. Do you understand? I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. But I believe that we're gathered here not just to feel good, but rather that we say, God, what do you want to do? Because I want to tell your story. The other thing that I want to share with you, this has been on my heart for quite some time, and I, I've shared this with people in the past, bits and pieces, but I believe with all my heart that God wants to honor the elder generations. In church world, we often talk about the graying church and how we need to reach out to young people. Yes, that's true. Because, you know, the church needs to continue on and we need to reach out to, to young people. But I believe that God wants to honor the generation ahead of us. Ahead of mine, at least. Boomers. Kind of gotten a bad rap lately. I don't claim to know why and I don't claim to know how that's going to happen. I just believe it in my heart that God wants to honor them for their faithfulness over the years. For how they've chosen to follow him. <laughs> Even if it means being part of a crazy startup church. I believe that. And the thing that I want to remind you, if you are among that generation, I want to remind you that there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. And the thing that I would urge you prophetically is to listen harder. To be in his presence so that you can be his presence. For you to listen because there is a younger generation that desperately needs your wisdom. Don't keep it to yourself. There is still stuff for you to do. Now, how God chooses to honor that, what He's going to do, I have no idea. All I know in my heart is that he wants to honor you. So press in a little bit harder 
listen a little bit more. Be willing, be willing to take some risks. Because the moment that you start listening for God and asking him for opportunity, oh, that's a dangerous prayer. Because God just might take you up on that. But that's okay. Because he's got you. He always has had you. And some of you know that more than others. And so I just encourage you to listen to the prophetic word that God is on the move and he still has lots for you to do. And those of you who are younger generations, listen to your elders because they have something to teach you. Just because it's new and shiny doesn't mean it's better. Just because you got some technology in your hand doesn't mean you know everything. And sometimes there is not just the knowledge, but there is wisdom that goes along with that, and we are remiss if we don't listen to those elders. I think that's what the Lord has for us today. Let's pray. God, Again, you lead Thrive Church. This is yours. It was from the moment that we started. It was your idea. And you love this church more than I ever will. And you got ideas, and you've got plans, and you've got some things that you want to do not just through us, but also inside of us. Of this, I am absolutely convinced. And my prayer, Lord, is that as we hear about your kingdom crashing into earth in various places around this country, that we too would be willing to take the steps necessary for it to land here for a little while as well. church, I'm calling you to confession and repentance. I don't know what that means for you. But my guess is every single person that's gathered here has got something in their heart you know is not right. You know, you know you're not where you're supposed to be with God. You know there's some things that you've been hanging on to for whatever reason that are not healthy for you, You've got some habits that you really need to get rid of. You've, you've got some stuff. And I will tell you that everything inside of you is going, no, 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 I don't want to go there. And Jesus is slowly just kind of knocking on that door going, hey, can, can we talk about this? I don't know where you are today, but I just want to encourage you to crack that door open and at least be willing to, to talk to Jesus. To say, Lord, I got some stuff I need to take care of. My belief is that the Lord will deal with you gently because that's who he is. He already knows about your stuff. It's no surprise to him. 
And I know it's so uncomfortable for us to deal with those things that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of, those things that we wish we would just go away. I know, I know all about them. And I'm telling you that the only way is to go through it because you can't avoid it. But you don't go through it alone because Holy Spirit is there. When you believed, he breathed on you and you have eternal life. And my hope for you is that you won't settle for that, but that you would also allow Holy Spirit to come and indwell you so that you may live with power and you may live in freedom and victory. We're not here on this earth just to get by or just to get through. We are here as sons and daughters of a living God who loves you, who has amazing ideas for your life. So Holy Spirit, as we sing, as we worship, oh God, I pray you would do the work that only you can do. That you would touch lives and hearts in the way that only you can. Um, I'm just going to go and um, be over here up, um, up in the... Uh, my right, your left, in that upper corner back there. If you want to pray about anything, come on back. I'd love to do that with you. No pressure, of course, but hey, if you feel like Holy Spirit's poking and prodding you right now, oh, don't, don't, don't just leave that. I mean, just, just ask him what he wants to do. Trust him just a little bit more. And God, I pray your blessing on us as a community that, uh, we would each hear you more, that we would um, begin to experience uh, your presence in such a way that we would have to tell others about it, that we would testify, that we would be your witnesses because you are active among us. I humbly submit all these things to you, Lord Jesus, and in your name, amen.